And so, Lord, now as we come to your word, we open our hearts to you, God. Thank you that you're God who speaks, uh, who knows us better than anyone else, Lord. And so we just open our hearts to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Reverend Dr. John Sweetman coming to share with us. John has been a part of our journey as a church, well, from the start, really, from the very beginning, because John is our founding pastor, Peter's brother. So you had no choice. You were part of our journey, but we have been blessed as a church. All you've inputted into our church over all those years, and it's great to have you sharing with us. So church, can you make John feel really welcome as he comes to share with us now? Thanks, Nathan. Interesting to hear Reverend Doctor. Boy, oh boy, I don't hear much of that these days from my grandkids. So uh, that's, that's good. Uh, I want to talk uh, this morning. Thanks for the invite, too. It's great. It's always great to be at Bridgie. Uh, just love the worship. <laughs> just terrific. Um, I want to talk this morning about a, a, a very short guy in the Bible, a guy called Zacchaeus, or Zach, if you want to shorten it. Uh, he was a, a, a tiny guy. And uh, our family kind of knows a fair bit about being short. Uh, I'm sort of shortish. I uh, grew fairly late. It, school so I was pretty tiny during my school years and uh, and my wife is uh, five foot or something like that 150 centimeters if you if you don't know the feet thing you know then uh, then she's so she's fairly short as well and so the boys are are fairly short now that hasn't always been the case Uh, we thought we were going to have an exception with our youngest uh, son who's Zach who's uh, Standing next to me in the middle, he's gone now. But anyway, he was standing next to me in the middle there. We thought we had a bit of an exception there because Zach grew very early. He grew when he was ten years of age and grew quite rapidly and became the biggest kid in the in the class uh, at school, and and became quite a basketball star because he was tall and uh, and and he could uh, he's fairly athletic and all the rest because he developed uh, early. So he, was, uh, he, he had a great future in front of him. Do you know what I mean? He played basketball. He was very excited about basketball. NBA was all the stars were his favourites, and uh, especially Dirk Nowitzki, but you don't know who that is. Uh, so, but he was really into it. All right? And I remember him saying to me when he was about 11 or 12, he said, he said, Dad, he said, if I keep growing at this rate, I'm going to be seven foot by the time I'm 20. <laughs> He didn't understand a lot about genetics at that stage of, uh, <laughs> of his life. And uh, unfortunately, he stopped growing when he was 12. And uh, everyone else just grew, grew past him. He's still really keen on basketball, by the way. But uh, our, young, our middle boy, Alex, uh, he uh, grew very late. Uh, so he was almost at the end of high school by the time he started to grow. And so he was tiny, which made... Uh, a lot of sporting things at school, very difficult. He was quite sporty, but, but just was too tiny to, to be able to do anything. And, and kids would throw him around at, at times and things like that. I, I suppose it built resilience in him, but it, it wasn't easy uh, being short. And Zacchaeus was short. Uh, the Bible doesn't say too much about physical characteristics of people generally, but it really points out that Zacchaeus was a very tiny uh, guy. Uh, um, but he'd, he'd done very well for himself. Um, he'd become very, uh, very wealthy. Maybe his shortness drove him on to, uh, to try and uh, achieve more. He was the chief tax collector 
in Jericho. And Jericho was a very wealthy area. It was one of the wealthiest areas in Palestine. It was on a border and there was a lot of trade going on. So there were wealthy merchants in the place. There was a, it was on a fertile plain. So the farming was really, really good there. So if you want to be a tax collector somewhere, <laughs> Jericho was a good place to be. And, and Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So he was the boss uh, of, of the whole organisation. The thing was that, uh, and he was very, very wealthy because, because of that. Uh, the thing was that, that collecting taxes in those days, and it's probably not quite as bad today, but a little similar today, uh, tax collectors were not really appreciated very much uh, in the culture. And there was uh, a real uh, important reason for that, and that was because tax collectors worked for the Romans. See, the Romans were the ones who imposed the taxes, and they would expect a certain amount of tax from a region, and it was the tax collector's job uh, to make sure that that tax was achieved. And if uh, they could get more money out of that region, then they could keep it for themselves. And so Zacchaeus must have been very good at his job. He must have had some big heavies that worked for him, uh, and he did really well. But he was regarded by uh, the population, by the Jewish people, uh, as a traitor because he worked for the Romans and tried to extort money uh, from, from the Jewish people. Uh, he was rich, well-connected, powerful, unscrupulous and probably detested. A little bit like maybe a similar thing today would be maybe a, a crime boss, uh, someone who's powerful and rich but corrupt and dangerous. Uh, when I think of uh, oh, he jumped ahead there, right? When I think of uh, Zacchaeus, I do think of Danny DeVito. Do you know what I mean? And in one of his probably, uh, uh, one of those roles, he was sometimes a cute character, but sometimes he played roles uh, in the movies that were sort of unscrupulous and corrupt. And uh, that's the kind of person I think of when I, when I think of Zacchaeus. Shady, untrustworthy, corrupt, ruthless, unlikable. He is not the kind of person that you would think would have much to do with Jesus. Uh, Jesus was this uh, pure rabbi, uh, healer, uh, spiritual man, penniless, didn't have anything uh, to his name. And he was Zacchaeus, rich, powerful, corrupt, working for the Romans, the oppressors. Uh, and so the, the distance between Jesus and, and Zacchaeus was just huge. Uh, but something was happening in Zacchaeus that was bringing change to him. And, and we're going to have a look at a story that talks about his relationship uh, with Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles there, it's in Luke chapter 19 and it'll be up there on the screen uh, as well. So Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, 
He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody, which he obviously had, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a real son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, that talking about himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He heard that Jesus was coming through the town and he was desperate to, to try and, and get to Jesus and have a look at who this Jesus was. But the crowds were huge. The streets must have been lined with people and there was just no way that he could see Jesus. He was tiny. He mustn't have had his minders with him that day. And so he just couldn't get through the crowd to get a front row seat to, to, to look at Jesus. In fact, I presume he was probably fairly poorly treated by the crowd as he tried to get through. This little guy that they recognised, they knew immediately who he was. It was Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. And so he was elbowed to the, to the back of the crowd. It was difficult for him. I, I, I know that feeling. Uh, we sometimes take our grandkids to uh, parades in the city at Christmas time, you know, they parade through the, through the streets. And I have learned from experience now that you've got to be there early uh, if your kids are going to be able to see anything because once the crowd builds up, there's just nothing, you, no way you can see through. Uh, I don't like lining up, right? I really, really hate lining up. I think it's such a waste of time. Is anyone with me in that? Anyone else? Like if, if we had to line up for food, I'd, be, I'd die of starvation. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I can't do it. But for my grandkids' sake, I know you've got to be there hours early, right? You just sit on the street for hours trying to entertain these kids, but it's the only way you can get a front row. And then you've got to fight with everyone else who comes later and tries to take your spot. Do you know what I mean? So in a pastoral kind of way, I'm kind of <laughs> pushing people away and holding them back for the grandkids' sake, of course, so that they can see the, the parade well. And, and so this is the problem that Zacchaeus has. He comes, he comes late, he's not there early, and he can't see a thing. <laughs> He's a short little guy, can't see over the top of the crowd. Jesus was really uh, popular, obviously, at this time, and so uh, he, can't, he can't see anything. So he decides to, uh, he's going to try and get up a tree. <laughs> That's pretty demeaning, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? So one of the richest guys, most powerful guys in town to be try climbing a, a, a tree. I, 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 there's something happening in Zacchaeus, isn't there? You know, that uh, there's something that he's recognising in him that maybe Jesus can help with. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. Um, we're not told. Um, Matthew, well, one of the disciples, Levi, was, was, was a, we're told was a tax collector. And I presume that the tax collecting community was fairly small uh, in Jesus' day. And so he may well have known Matthew and known that Matthew had been gone from tax collecting become a disciple of Jesus and thinking, what on earth is happening there? What would motivate someone uh, to do that? So it might have been that. It, uh, maybe he was starting to struggle with, uh, you know, despite his wealth and his good life, maybe he was starting to struggle with uh, purpose or direction. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, what is my life really about? What have I really achieved? I've got lots of money, but, but, but so what? What does that mean? Or, or maybe he's had a really hard time. Maybe he's persecuted, uh, whatever it is, uh, and, and he's just thinking, gosh, there's, 
there's got to be something more. This is just not satisfying. Whatever it is, there's, a, there's something in him that's just desperate, that's, that's hungry in a sense, hungry for, for something more. And he, and he thinks maybe, just maybe, Jesus is going to be the answer to that. Now, what he expects to happen by just seeing Jesus, I got no idea. You know, like, like I'm not sure what, what he thought was going to happen. But, but obviously, there's a desperation in him, and, and he's, he's, he's longing for something else. And he thinks maybe, just maybe, Jesus might be the answer to that. If you believe the media, you would think that uh, no one in Australia would be interested in Christianity. You know, it's pushed hard all the time. Uh, numbers in church are, or numbers that put their name as Christian on the census are, are declining. Do you know what I mean? No one appreciates the values and directions and the serving that Christians do. You know, like, like it's all a very a negative picture is painted. And you would think that, that you know, there's no Zacchaeuses, you know, no people that have got to that point and say, I think there's got to be more than this. Uh, maybe there's an answer. The fact is that that is completely wrong. Uh, there's some recent work being done by McCrindle's organisation, some survey work done, and, and it has found that, in fact, uh, has asked questions to people who are not Christians, do you know what I mean? And, uh, and or not yet Christians, and asked them questions like, uh, how would you, how open would you be to a spiritual conversation that may involve a different view to your own? All right. So, how think about it for a minute. How open would you be to a spiritual conversation that involved a view not your own? Now, if I think about that, if I think take everything's been said about Aussies, you'd think what five percent might be. Do you see what the figures are? The fact is that twenty-one percent are extremely open. 21% of the people that you work with, that you live with that in your neighbourhood, 21% are extremely open. 25% are very open. So that means 46% of people, are almost half people, are actually quite open to a spiritual conversation uh, about, about things. Uh, another question they asked was, given the right circumstances and evidence, how open would you be to changing your current religious view? This is even more personal now. How open would you be to changing if you were given the right situation and the right circumstances? And uh, 16% said that they were extremely open or significantly open and 20% uh, said that they were somewhat open. So that means 36% are somewhat open to changing their way, their perspective on spirituality uh, or on for us on, on Christianity, like that's huge, isn't it? When you think about it, compared to what we're told all the time uh, about Christian faith. Well, Zacchaeus was a lot like this, right? He was a lot like a lot of Aussies are. On the outside, fairly successful, have it, have it all together. On the inside, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're, they're wondering about what life is about and where it's going and is there more than this? And Zach's what Zacchaeus was like. Now, this story could have easily played out, in my mind anyway. So Zacchaeus gets, up, he gets along the pathway or the road or whatever it is Jesus was on. 
he climbs up this tree, he's sort of hanging up the top there and looking down. And it could have easily been, you know, Jesus passes, passes underneath, you know, and with a, his whole entourage, whatever they were, and he goes underneath. And Jesus and, and uh, Zacchaeus just sees the top of Jesus' head as he goes underneath. You know, and we know biblical uh, from Isaiah 53 and other places that there was nothing particularly attractive about Jesus, you know. So, so Jesus passes underneath. Zacchaeus looks and says, well, there's Jesus. He looks pretty ordinary to me, just a, a, a normal a man. Uh, and thinks, well, that's not the answer to any, any of my issues. You know, so Jesus goes, the crowd moves on, and, and that's it. But it's not what happened at all. So Jesus comes along and gets under the tree and looks up and spots Zacchaeus. And, and it's obviously not a sudden thing. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just, oh, oh, there's a guy up there in the tree. Hello, how you going? You know, keep on, keep on moving. Like Jesus has been thinking about this guy for some time like there's an intentionality let's read about what it says like this is no chance sort of noticing verse 5 when Jesus reached the spot right the spot underneath Zacchaeus he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus come down immediately now I presume he's never known never met Zacchaeus before in his life but he has known for some time as he's been going along there's going to be a guy in the tree that's hungry, that's desperate for something. And his name's Zacchaeus. And uh, you've got a purpose with him, Jesus. You're going to bring change to his life. You're going to, bring, you're going to save him. And uh, so, so uh, he says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. He knew, Jesus knew that this was a divine moment a special moment uh, for Zacchaeus and for him as well as, as, he, as he saved Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus knew that something was going to happen. Like he's searching for something, right? And he thinks that Jesus could be the answer. And as, as Jesus looks up at him, he looks into the eyes of Jesus. Uh, he just knows that this has happened. It's happened. Something's happening here. Something's changing. And he says, he came down at once. So I could, I could just see the little short guy jumping out of the tree, you know, like, wow, he's down there with Jesus and welcomed him gladly. But of course, uh, so something wonderful is about to happen here, something incredible. But not everyone's happy with this. Um, there's a lot of people in the crowd that were very, very unhappy about Jesus doing anything with Zacchaeus. This is what it says in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. It's going to be a guest of a sinner. Do you see that? It's going to be a guest of a, a, a sinner. Now, all the people doesn't necessarily mean every single person that was there, but there was a sizable group of mutterers there that were very uh, unhappy. Uh, probably in Australia, we'd call them whingers, wouldn't we? You know, the, the whingers were there. These people had, had no understanding of, of love or grace or the ministry of Jesus, you know, they, they thought they had their ideas about what the Messiah should be like and Jesus didn't fit any of them. So whenever he did something that was different, they muttered away, they whinged away. Uh, why would Jesus go and reach out to a person that was so undeserving and so flawed and so evil? And Jesus said that we'd always have the poor with us. Uh, I'd like to add to that. And we said we'll always have the, the mutterers with us or the, the whingers uh, with us. We'll always have them. 
Sometimes they're critics. They just love playing the critic role. Uh, sometimes they're legalists that have a certain idea about what God should do or how, how it should look like. Sometimes they're uh, uh, negative people like we often get. No, I don't want to be too critical of our media, but often we get in the media, uh, you know, negative things all the time about Christian faith and all the rest, you know. But, but the mutterers are there. The, the winches are there. When, they, when God's at work in powerful ways, there's always those around. They'll say, oh, it shouldn't be do, done like this, you know. I, last week, uh, our, my pastor shared a story when, from when he was a youth pastor. And he said, well, they were having this powerful work of God. There was quite a few kids becoming Christians. And there was this particular girl that was just wonderfully saved. Uh, dreadful background and all the rest, and just beautifully saved. And, and uh, she gave a testimony, and she was baptised. And, and he said it was just a wonderful time. And that, that week, a guy from the church, an older guy in the church, made an appointment to see him. And he thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what he wants to... And he wanted to, to tell this guy, this pastor, youth pastor, what a terrible baptismal service it had been and how dreadful it had been and how dishonouring to God and all the rest. And the reason he tried to say, why, what was so bad about it? And in the end, it came down that when she gave a testimony, she had a hat on, you know, and, and, and so that was what made it so terrible, you know. That's the mutterers, the, the winches, and, and they're around the place. Now, there's always a good place to give feedback, isn't there? We want to have feedback. We want to hear what people are thinking and, what, and, and, and if they've got good ideas. The good thing about good feedback is people move on from there. But the mutterers don't move on. They continue and they continue and they continue. And, and at this stage, Jesus had a lot of them around the place. This is the first, uh, this is the last real interaction he had uh, before he, he was, went through Jericho. He was on his way to Jerusalem uh, where he was going to die. So, you know, this is only a week before the, the cross. And, uh, and so by now, there's been a lot of critics uh, around the place. They've gathered a significant, a significant group uh, that were so critical of everything that Jesus did, you know. Isn't that dreadful? He's befriending a criminal, like a traitor. Shock horror, you know, like a real man of God would never do that. Uh, you'll face them too uh, as you seek to serve God, particularly if you're out there on the forefront of ministry and service and you're trying to help people that are broken and hurting, uh, You'll face it too. Sometimes it comes from them or the people around them, the critics, the negative people. Sometimes it even comes from church people. Do you know what I mean? But if you're out there, if you're bringing change, if you're seeing God at work, if you're moving in new ways uh, in the spirit, then uh, there'll be the mutterers around the place as there was around Jesus, a growing crowd that did not like uh, what he was doing. This was the crowd that in a week's time were going to be yelling out, crucify him, crucify him. But the mutterers had a point didn't they? Surely there were more deserving people that Jesus could have ministered to out of that huge crowd than a guy like Zacchaeus. Like there were people there that had been spending a lot of time studying their Bibles, you know, like, and, 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 and seeking what God wanted. You know, like surely those, or there were people that were just having a really tough time and it was difficult, they had really good hearts. You know, but it was just a very difficult time. Like, like these are the kind of people that you'd think that Jesus would be, would be ministering to, that Jesus would be spending time with them and having lunch with, with them, not some traitor criminal <laughs> that, had, you know, that had 
ripped off people, so many people in the community. Like, not someone like that. Surely Jesus, if, if he's got the time, is going to put it with people that uh, deserve it <laughs> in some way. Well, Jesus didn't. And at this dinner party, he made his agenda clear. Uh, he's in Zacchaeus' place, and this is what he says in verse 9. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek them out and to save the lost. A few hours before, perhaps even a few minutes before, we're not sure, but coming into Jerusalem, uh, sorry, coming into Jericho, he'd also had an encounter with a guy. This guy was a, a beggar. Um, destitute, he was blind and, uh, and, and so the only way he made any, enough money to eat uh, would be to beg people and uh, this beggar had been uh, crying out for help and it, it says in verse uh, chapter 18, the chapter before, verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's interesting that on, in this day, we, there may have been other cases, but we don't know anything else from Scripture. On this day, there's two people that Jesus is looking for. <laughs> One of them's a blind beggar, got nothing, just desperate. And the other one's Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector. Two people very different, aren't they? On different ends of the social spectrum, of the economic spectrum, of the political spectrum, you know, a, a worthless person in society, what seemed worthless, and a, and a rich, bad person, you know, like two very, very different people. But, but there was something that was the same in both of these people, something that made them the focus of Jesus' attention, so much so he says, I've got to go to your place. Like, this is not some job, I've got to go there. <laughs> what, what, made, what was the thing in common that these two men had? It was both of them were hungry. Both of them recognised that their life was not together. Both of them recognised that Jesus could help. They were both together in that. And Jesus saved both of them. The fact is, uh, everyone's lost. Everyone needs to be saved. But most people just don't realise that. There were so many people in that crowd. But these two guys recognised they needed Jesus. People blithely think that if they try harder, if they work harder, if they can just survive this or just cope with this, then life will be good or life will work out or life will be purposeful and it won't be. The blind guy knew that. Zacchaeus knew that. They knew that they needed saving and that Jesus was the answer. And it's often when people come to this point where they recognise that there is more. <laughs> we heard it from, from Hillary, you know, that they recognise that there, there is more. It's often at that place where, where Jesus touches them because then they're open. The, the stats uh, say, what, what are the most common Reasons why uh, people think about spirituality, 31%, it's a death in the family. 25%, there's a conversation with others there, 25%, 
it's health issues of a family member, and 24% it's personal unhappiness. So you see all of those things, what are they? They're things that, uh, apart from conversations, which I take encouragement for that, you know, that sometimes it's just in conversation that people will be aware, but mostly it's when people have a need and they get to the point where they say, I can't do this, there's got to be something more. That they, That is the time where Jesus comes in and, and touches the life. It's people that are hungry. At the beginning of this year, I was sitting on the beach at Caloundra, which I spend a fair bit of time doing these days, and uh, I was watching the people in the surf, it was a fairly big surf, debating whether I'd go in or not. And there was a couple of teenage, older teenage guys that had swum out a long way out and the, and the waves were big and they were, uh, and they were swimming out there. They were surfing the, the, the big waves and I was kind of reminiscing, thinking about <laughs> the days when it used to be me out there, you know, and now I can only do it with the grandkids in the shallows, you know. So, so I was kind of watching these guys and thinking, oh, wow, wasn't that fun out there? And, and I, as I watched them for a while, I realised that actually they were in trouble. <laughs> that the waves were big and the rip was quite strong pulling them out and they were trying to get back. I thought they were just trying to surf away, but they were trying to get back to the beach and, and, uh, and they weren't making it. <laughs> and I could see them. I watched them. I would have gone out to, out to help them, but I knew that a lot of people drowned trying to help other people. So I thought, well, I better say, just watch them here from the beach safely. Uh, but, uh, but I watched them, you know, and it, turned, it started sort of, they were just out there having fun and surfing and all the rest. And I could see gradually the desperation grow, but, but they were uh, teenage guys, do you know what I mean? Like, they weren't going to ask for help. Like, they were going to get in. They'd be fine, you know. So they were trying all they could. The waves were breaking over them. And, uh, and finally, <laughs> they put up their hands. And immediately, the beach came to life. Life's, there must have been a lot of quite a few lifesavers around. One guy got uh, the floaty thing, you know, that they have, and he was swimming out through the waves to the, another lifesaver, got on a paddleboard and ski, you know, and was paddling out uh, towards them, and another, a couple of them jumped on, took them a while to get it launched, but jumped on the jet ski, do you know what I mean? And they were out there, and they were all heading out to these two guys out there, you know, and they were all kind of converged at the same time. It seemed like a bit of a competition. Who was going to get there first? The poor guy swimming had a bit of trouble. So. <laughs> but, uh, but they rescued them. They brought them in. The guys were a bit sheepish, as you can imagine. You know what I mean? Young, tough guys on that to be rescued by the, by the lifesavers, you know. But they were saved. They were struggling. They finally admitted <laughs> that they were struggling, put up their hand, and then they were saved. The blind man put up his hand, said, Jesus, I need you, and he was healed. Zach put up his hand, and he was transformed, absolutely transformed. Look at his response here. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Oh, there's a guy that spent all his life amassing wealth. That was all that was important. Didn't matter who, how many people disliked him, how, how he was seen by his community. Like, he was getting money and that was the important thing. And, and this guy that had spent all his time amassing this wealth, incredible wealth, is just radically changed. Like, he goes way beyond anything that the law, the Jewish law, demanded of people in, in, in restitution. You know, four times as much you're going to get back. Half... Give straight away, just give half of it away. 
This guy had been driven by his wealth. And when he put up his hand, Jesus came and he saved him from drowning. Drowning in his wealth (laughs) and set him free from his prison. You can certainly tell. But Jesus confirms this. This is what he says in verse 9. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus loves to do. This is his purpose. It's still his purpose to seek and to save the lost. That's what he's doing here this morning in this church. That's what he's doing in lounge rooms as you're listening to this. He's seeking and saving the lost. He's looking for those that recognize that they're lost, that recognize that they can't do it themselves, that recognize that there is a Jesus who can save them, who can help them, and put up their hand and say, yeah, that's me. I'm lost. (laughs) I need saving. I know that's hard to do. That's hard to do for people who are not yet Christians. I know that's hard. It's hard to do for Christians too. Do you know what I mean? Like we just struggle on and we do the best we can and we we kind of cope as best we can. And and it's hard for us sometimes to put up our hands and say, ah, I just don't want to do this by myself. I just can't do this by myself. I need a (laughs) saviour. I need a saviour. People who say that they're drowning, who recognise that. And that's what Jesus is here to do this morning. He's looking for people that are drowning, that are lost, that are struggling, that are hurting, that are recognising that this must be something more, that have been holding on to other things and, and need to let those go and let Jesus rescue them. That's what he's looking for and that's what he's doing. He's doing it right across this church. He's doing it in, in lounge rooms and uh, at, at home. You've, God's at work and Jesus is working the same way and he's, he's drawing you and he's saying, will you put up your hand? And in a moment I'm, just, I'm going to uh, pray for people. I'm, something else I just want to say at the end but I'm going to pray for people in a moment. And, uh, and what I'm going to ask you to do is this morning if you recognise this is for people who have never done this before. Right? You might never have put up your hand and said, Jesus, I need you. And you can do this this morning and you'll be saved by what Jesus has done on the cross. Uh, maybe it's you've put, done it a thousand times, said, Jesus, I need you. And just to, this morning you just recognise again, Jesus, I just want you. I just need you. I recognise <laughs> I'm in need. <laughs> I need your help. I need your saving. <laughs> I need your support. I can't do this by myself. It may be someone like, maybe you'd think, well, I'm doing okay, you know, I'm coping all right. Uh, and uh, maybe Zacchaeus was like that for a long time. But you come to a point where you say, I'm not actually making it. <laughs> I'm not doing okay. I can do much better than this. I need Jesus. And so I'm going to ask this morning, if you, if you uh, want to put up your hand in just a, in a symbolic way, just saying, I just need Jesus. <laughs> uh, we're going to do it with our... Uh, while we're praying so no one will see it's just quickly up and down right nothing it's just it's between you and God and then I'm just going to pray for rescue (laughs) for help for support for strength for the presence of Jesus he's looking seeking and saving the lost (laughs) and uh, so let's bow in prayer and same at home if you can do the same at home that's great 
it's always hard for us to, <laughs> to say that we're lost, that we're drowning. Uh, but if you'd like to do that this morning, uh, then uh, just in this quiet moment with everyone's uh, eyes shut, uh, if you'd just like to put up your hand and just put it down again quickly. If you're just going to say, Jesus, I need your help. I need your saving. I really do. Lord Jesus, uh, you're here right now. As you were with Zacchaeus, looking up on that tree, little short guy that had it all and had nothing. He said, come on down, mate. I'm coming to your place. <laughs> you're going to be transformed. And Lord, you're here doing the same thing this morning, reaching out. For those, Lord, of us that say, hey, I can't make it by myself. And I don't want to anymore. I need you, Jesus. I need you. Some for the first time, Lord Jesus. Oh, fill them, Lord Jesus. Set them free. May they know what it is to be your child, Lord Jesus. And some for the umpteenth time, just saying again this morning, Jesus, I just need your help. I can't do this job or I can't do this ministry or I can't do this marriage or, I just, I, I, can't, I can't do it by myself. I, I just need your help. So Jesus, come. Do your saving work. Do your rescuing work, Lord. Setting us free. Healing us, Lord Jesus. Giving new strength and new hope and new purpose, Lord Jesus. I pray. Thank you that you love to do this, Lord Jesus. That we don't have to force your hand. That you're actually looking for us to save us. And so I thank you, Jesus. Oh, do your work among us now, Lord Jesus, we pray. Bring your saving touch, your saving power. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I just want to add that um, Jesus' calling to seek and to save the lost is actually the calling of all his children. And uh, if you belong to Jesus now, then... Uh, that's your job, to, to seek and save the lost. And we're going to do that in different ways. Some of us are jet skiers, all right? So we're just going to power out there and tell everyone we know about Jesus and, and the rest. And that's great. If that's the way some of us are on paddle boards, we're not quite as quick as that, do you know what I mean? But we're doing the best we can. And some of us are swimming and, you know, uh, we're not great at this, but we're doing the best we can. But, but we, however you do it, it's still the same. Our, our calling is to seek and save the lost. And uh, we must not be put off by the mutterers, right? The people around us that say you haven't got anything to say, you haven't got anything real in your life or you're not doing it the wrong way or whatever it might be. Don't be put off by the mutterers uh, around you. Uh, hold on to, to Jesus in the whole thing uh, uh, as, you're, as you're doing it. Recognise that you can do it in different ways. You've got to do it in your way. Uh, that the way that God's called you to. But recognise that the people around you, we saw some stats this morning, are not nearly as much together as they, they look like they are. And there's many of them that are open to spiritual things, are even would even change if the right situation came along. So we need to be praying for that and we need to be looking for those people. We, our job is to seek and to save the lost. Next year at Queensland Baptist, we're going to be really focusing on this, church planning, evangelism, all of these things, you know. But this is our calling. We're looking to seek and save the lost. We're looking for people that have come to that point in their life where they're dissatisfied with what they have, that are a little bit open and just to open those doors and to bring those conversations and to show the love of Jesus in various ways so that... Uh, 
so that we can be part of Jesus' great work in seeking and saving the lost. This is our calling uh, as well. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, John, so much. Uh, if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, we've got these Bible gift packs. We'd love to give this to you. The most important decision, important prayer you can ever pray is to say, Jesus, come, rescue me, help me. We'd love to help you on that journey. We're going to respond in worship. Why don't we stand together as we do that now and sing of the power, the life, the hope that is found in Jesus, the name above all names. Let's do that together now.
Can we thank Him together, church? Can we put our hands together this morning as we worship? The most wonderful name in all the world, the name of Jesus. Call upon that name, the Bible says, and you will be saved. You can do that this morning. Don't forget if you prayed that prayer this morning. If you came with someone, tell them. Something's in my heart. I want to talk to someone. I want to know more. We've got these Bible gift packs, our prayer team down the front, our prayer lounge up the back there as well, our connections lounge. But God bless you. Please take a seat. God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing with us. You feel free just to come and to respond this morning as well. God bless.